Welcome to the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast, where we untangle the past, rewrite the present, and reclaim our future. I am your host, Tammy Vincent, and together we will break free from old patterns, heal wounds, and create new narratives. Are you ready to transform the effects of your dysfunctional past into your superpowers? Are you excited to get back in touch with your true authentic self? If so, then hit subscribe and join me weekly on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. Here we will learn from experts as well as experienced thrivers how to turn our trials into smiles while living our most authentic and joyful lives. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adult Child of Dysfunction. Today, we have with us a very special guest. Her name is Denise Bard. Denise is a motivational speaker who shares her story, which includes some very vulnerable moments. She does this to inspire teachers and others on how to simple how a simple 30-second moment can change the life of a child, leaving behind their legacy. So welcome, Denise. So happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So tell us, I mean, obviously this came from something. You didn't just <laughs> pop up and say, hey, my teachers gave me these 30-second moments. Tell us a little <laughs> yeah. bit about your history and your story and how these came to affect you. Well, sure. So I am, um, I'm a product of two drug addicted teens. And um, I, I'd like to not say I was raised because you'll understand later, but um, I grew up on my mother's side with my mother's side of the family. And so they were already in a cycle of abuse, dysfunction, just craziness. So I kind of slid in there. Um, And so my mother was 16 and had an addiction to cocaine alcohol, you name it. And so um, I spent all of my childhood facing many forms of abuse, horrible abuse, neglect, um, and um, where where I became payment for her drug addiction uh, at the age of four is my, my earliest memories. And um, I don't know, I can detail things. I was just having a conversation with a friend and I can actually detail things to wall colors, um, archways, different things like that from when I was four years old in those early moments of these things happening to me. And, um, you know, I, I grew up with, um, you know, the physical abuse, the emotional, the neglect. And I went into kinship care at about four years old. Um, my grandmother, again, this is a cycle, um, had gotten me in kinship care because, um, At four, my mother was hanging off the balcony of a um, a fire escape with a knife and she was chasing people. And so they got worried I was locked in a box, which I can't remember, but I know where it's at. And so the court gave uh, kinship care to my grandmother at four. And so I would spend back and forth into kinship care. But unfortunately, every time I was with my mother, I faced the worst of abuses. Um, And then about 14... I was tired of being told that I was a rapist child. I um, was, um, I just didn't matter. I wasn't wanted. Uh, She wished that I was someone else. She hated me. And I had moved in with her full time. She convinced the court she was okay when I was 12. So that was about sixth grade. And so by eighth grade, I didn't want to be anything anymore. And so um, I attempted to take my life. And as I crushed up uh, all her pills that she that we had in the cabinet um, in the water and I began to drink, I take about that first gulp and then I stopped 
And I have a lot of people who ask me, well, did you change your mind? Were you uh, like, were you afraid? Did you not want to? And I said, you know, the thing that actually changed me was I didn't want them to be the victims. And that's what they would claim. They would be the victim. And so um, I went to the bus stop and I told a friend who I knew was going to tell school. Maybe it was that like finally maybe getting a little bit of courage to say something. And uh, the school called the police, called her. She came in, played victim. And it was the first time I had courage to say, I'm not going home. I refuse. I don't care where you take me. I will not go back. And so they brought me to this nonprofit shelter for runaway abuse and homeless youth. And I was 14. And it was the first time that I had ever felt safe. Like I remember walking in there and I felt like I went from being something to actually becoming someone, Um, you know, I went to bed at night and I wasn't afraid. So I used to sleep with a pillow over my head and in fear of, I hated sounds was a trigger, um, you know, movement. And then you didn't know what was going to happen because it was always the unknown and I didn't have to have the pillow over my head. It was the first time I had all these you know, moments of, of feeling safe, feeling like people actually cared. And I was, um, my case manager's first person I met, she was uh, paired with me. And I swear, I feel like it was a divine moment because her name consisted of my name, my mother's name and my biological father's name, which is crazy, beyond crazy. And um, so I'll keep their names, you know, for, for whatever. <clears throat> and, um, she was the first person to give me a hug where it wasn't a, fr- I wasn't afraid. I was reluctant, but I wasn't afraid, but she wrapped her arms around me and squeezed me so tight that it felt like every fear and every awfulness just kind of went away, dripped away. And while I had experienced so many firsts, great first in that, um, in that group home, she taught me three lessons, one of which has changed everything. And I get to those 30 second moments, but she had said, you know, things are these, the things that happen to you are not your fault. And I'll tell you what, that is one of the hardest things, including till today to really be okay with, because I, it's a struggle. Like you don't know how to accept that. Because you feel like there's got to be something I did wrong because I believed it growing up. You were told, you know, these things are happening to you because of you. And if you tell people, um, you know, they're going to think you're crazy because this is kind of normal. Right. So you believe in your mind all of these things. You were abused because something you did, you know, you were thrown because something you did. You were um, molested and sexually abused because it was your fault they wanted to. And, you know, just all these little things. <clears throat> so her telling me that was hard because she didn't know all of that. I was so scared to still tell it. So I kind of kept that reluctant, but she wanted me to know. And it's something I still work on today. The second thing she told me was, um, it always gets harder before it could ever get better. And I hated for her to tell me that, but I'm so fortunate enough to tell you she is still in my life since I was 14. And she will still say that sometimes today. And I still get angry that she says it, but she has always been right. But the third thing, and this is one of the things that changed me forever. 
And she said, um, you need to look around you. There are so many people that care about you and want you to do well. And at first I would get so angry. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I've got to foot forward. I've got to get through this, you know, survival abuse. I don't have time for people around me. And then it clicked. And of course, at that age, I didn't quite understand why it clicked, but she wasn't asking me to change my perspective because I don't think you can change your perspective on abuse, especially the kind that I faced. She was asking me to shift my focus and find those positive, positive moments. And it was like, once I did that, all of these little things started to build upon themselves and build me into who I am today. So the first person, I mean, outside of her, whom I love, and she unconditionally loves me, but it was my eighth grade math teacher. And she was my absolute favorite teacher and not because of math, because I absolutely suck at math. <laughs> but um, she was my favorite teacher. I gravitated to her. And she was actually a, a volunteer at the shelter and would take me to school. I don't remember those car rides, which kind of upsets me to this day. But one day, I remember when I'm talking to you, I'm reliving it because I can remember it at every step. And it's not just the memory of the actual physical. It's the memory of of that feeling that just get, I feel it like it's the moment. Um, somebody had come in to visit her and my locker was right across the hall from her classroom. And she called me over. I was digging for books and she called me over and at that time I had um, long curly hair, still have curly, I straighten it, but <laughs> I had long curly hair and she wiped my, wiped, pushed my um, hair off my shoulders and placed her hand there and introduced me to him as this is my Denise. Man, I tell you what, that simple moment, she, you know, was, was one of those just um, just simple, whatever kind of saying, oh, this is, it's just a saying. It didn't mean to her what it meant to me, but it was the first time that I felt like this feeling inside that I could be wanted by someone because I'd been told my whole life that nobody would ever want me. And here, my favorite teacher is saying these words and I'm telling you right now, and I still feel it when I say it. And that's why I say these, these moments transcend time because it does something to me. And so that was my first moment. And then my second moment came, um, with, uh, a teacher or actually my soccer coach. I had, uh, decided a year after I'd gotten out of six months after I'd gotten out of anchor house and I had to go back. Um, a lot of transpired and I can talk to you about that, but, um, a coach after I decided I'm going to not do this anymore. And I don't care about who, you know, the person that would feel guilty. I don't care. Right. And so I decided I was going to go to my last basketball practice and I'm not a basketball player. I'm five foot. There's nothing that screams basketball. But I was her uh, soccer player and she's like, no, you're going to play for me. She knew nothing about my background. And walking into the um, the practice that day, which I considered my last practice, she comes walking beside me and throws me into this headlock and tells me she's taking me under her wing. And again, I'm like in this moment and like everything shuts down and I'm hearing Michelle say, look around you, look around you. And this woman's telling me that I matter. 
And so these moments, as I say, build upon each other. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, facing the things that I did um, and never being able to get away, I had to find something. Somebody told me they're like little um, rays of hope, little lights of hope that were shining through to keep me to go to the next day, that no, go to the next day. Um, but it was difficult. I mean, after I got out of Anchor House, um, my mother didn't want me back, which I was all right with. But uh, the court system, you know, they like to reunite families and kind of get them back together. And so they felt that it was okay that I go with an uncle, which he had been good to me. But um, once I got to his house with his wife, there was so much abuse there. And my uh, fight or flight kicked in. And as soon as like people are like arguing, I get really, really nervous because I remember the chaos of growing up and facing the um, abuse and different things like that. And so um, I convinced my mom to uh, take me back for a weekend and she reluctantly did, but she did. And uh, as soon as she left for the laundromat, which she does every Saturday, I took off and I was running and um, floated around for an entire day, didn't eat, didn't anything. And I went to a house who the girl was in Anchor House with me, um, which is the nonprofit group home. And she told her mom, who's a social worker, a poor one at that, who called the police. And I will never forget, I was taken to this place called Youth Emergency Center. And I sat at a table and it's in a hospital. And this is a hospital my mother spent some time in the psych ward with. And uh, this fat man came in, put this piece of paper down, slid it over to me and said, you have two choices. You can either one, go upstairs to the psych ward because she's filling out all the papers to commit you. Um, or you can write down on this paper how you've made up everything for attention. And I sat there for a few minutes. I was like, I don't even, you know, wow. contemplated. Yeah. And I wrote, I wrote it because I was so hungry. All I wanted was a Whopper Jr. from Burger King with fries <laughs> and a milkshake. That's all I wanted. And um, yeah, that was the hardest thing I had done. And um, there was only one other time. I know I'm floating all over the place. Um, but there was one other time where I actually tried to get help with a uh a social worker came to my house right after um, she had gotten me maybe a year after. And my mother and my grandmother were sitting on a couch right outside the kitchen door. And I slipped this social worker a paper and I said, please help me. I am scared. And that social worker left and I never heard back. Wow. So, yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. So I mean, I'm just, th I'm just thinking about all those different things. And, you know, one of the things that resonates me with me the most, I mean, I'm listening to it, but it's just sad. Well, first of all, the system is broken. Oh yeah. And, you know, and unfortunately there's nothing we can do about that today, Yeah. but it's so sad that you, for one, you kept getting returned to your mom. Yep. I mean, that in itself is scary. And, mm -hmm. and the fact that you just didn't have the support and it's just crazy. I mean, it's crazy. And it's so warming though, that you had it in you to know, to take these moments and to, that at least you had that one person that started that process because 
Yeah. Um, I know that I wouldn't, I tell her to this day, I'm like, I know I want to be here. Like, I know, like, there's no ifs, ends, or buts. Um, I didn't want to be here. And I, you know, it saved me a year by, you know, that's in my thought. I was like, well, it just saved me a year um, not knowing I was going to go there. But at the end of the day, I mean, I was ready to keep giving up. And it was, you know, had she not taught me that, I know I wouldn't be here. There's no question. So it's those three things that just kept running through your head. It's not my fault. You know, it's going to get harder and somebody out there cares about me. And then you're just looking, you're just, I mean, it's like any kids that go through trauma and abuse and neglect. You're looking for the signs. You're looking for any sign of hope that things can get better or that there's light on the other side of the tunnel, which it's hard to believe. And that's what leads to the suicide attempts. And yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I think that they had to have been there all the time. Um, because when my earliest memories go back to when I was four and I remember what I say is my first time, I know it wasn't my first time, but my first memory, um, being picked up from, um, my, uh, preschool and it was a guy and I just knew, like, I, I tried to struggle. I didn't want to get in the car with them. And, um, I remember going to the house. I remember the arched doorways where the couch was. I can remember the smell. Um, I was forced to lay in bed the first night. And like, you know, as a kid, you want to hide under the covers and not see anything, cover your ears. And um, I couldn't. And so I was faced with the smells, Mm -hmm. the sounds, the visuals. And uh, the next day I was forced to come in and watch him tickle her. And I mean, forced, I mean, stand at this side of the bed and you watch. And every time I closed my eyes, he was like, open your eyes. And so, and those things continue to happen. And I don't know at that point, like, I think at four, it was clicking on that. I just wanted a mom. And so I would look for moms and then it was almost like, how's my behavior? They got to want me. Oh, I'm a good little girl. Like they'll want me. They'll come rescue me, you know? Of Um, course. And when you're, when you're treated like that, all of your behavior and all of your actions are just doing everything you can being that perfect little child, being quiet, being silent, being being invisible so that just someone will take you and sweep you away. And it's kind of what I work with, with people is just, you know, that's one of my favorite sayings is you have to be your own knight in shining armor, but yeah, Yeah. you really do. And you got it inside of you. But like you said, you need something to prompt you and you need something to get you started on that journey of just believing that you can, or that you even will survive. I was a little bit, talk to me a little bit about, because like you said, your first memory and you're four. And mm-hmm. I, I totally get the census thing. I can remember the smell of like a leather couch. I can, re- mm-hmm. you know, and I can picture like specific moments in my life, like this turntable where my mother's drug dealer put all of in the drawer in a heated garage floor. And I don't remember why I remember that the floor was heated, but there was a turntable and there was a drawer with all the little pills underneath. Oh. And right next to it was that leather couch. And that it was forever. I remember the day my dad, I was like, 18 and he brought a leather couch home and it was like just the smell of that couch I was like like I never once sat on that couch I think I actually got beat because I bit a hole in the arm of the leather couch 
Oh my gosh. Literally, I don't know what possessed me, but it was anger. I don't know. (laughs) It it was just, you know, uh, and, but, but talk to me about, just talk to me a little bit about your healing journey. Cause there had to have been some steps that you went through besides just positive affirmations. Oh gosh. Um, yeah, but I think that that was the, the beginning. And to be honest with you, I, I never understood the healing, right? I just, you know, in my mind, you, you're thinking, oh, healing, you forget everything. Oh, healing, it doesn't do anything for you, blah, blah, blah. Um, I used to hear too that um, in order to heal, you have to forgive. And I'm like, nope, I'm never going to heal because I will never forgive, blah, 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 which I don't. I don't forgive. And this is my thing. Um, the The healing came with, I think each person that I met thereafter, um, I was gathering things that inside internally, it was giving me the things I wasn't getting in a traditional family. And so that helped that process of starting to, um, and of course, later in life, I figured it out, but I think it kind of goes back to, um, it was just starting to allow me to feel human. And I think when you feel human, there's different things, different steps, learning curves. Right. But as you grow, you understand more. And I mean, I'm 48 and it wasn't until I could say the last year. And I've still, I've had a lot of learning this past year and I know I'm not where I want to be, but man, I've realized that speaking and, and first of all, going through the, the, the group home, um, knowing that you have these little lights of hope kind of gave me that, um, I don't know, it's, it's, I wasn't um, controlled as much. So I'll say with the healing, as I've gotten older, being able to speak, and I've only been speaking five years where I finally had the courage to not talk to the family, actually, it was like seven years ago, Um, I had finally, and again, I was in my 30s, the first time I ever stopped talking to them. I had that courage. And once I did that, I started to let go of that control that they had over me. And so they had that control up until that time. And hindsight, I could see, I started to grow, you know, as after, you know, the 14, the whatever, and the people that came into my life, those little moments I started to grow upon, that it's those things that helped me to eventually like lead to this healing process. I don't think I'll ever get over it. Um, but I found control of the negative by using my voice. Um, for me, it was the more I share and and I, I let go of, of the worry, the more that it, um, the less that it controlled me. Yes. And so I think about that now. It's like people say, I can't believe you went through this. I can't believe you talk about that. Or I don't want you to have to talk about that. And I said, you don't understand. Each time I get to talk about it, each time I get to share a little bit more, which is funny because each time I get to talk more and th- things come out, it takes the control away from that negative weight that I always had to allowing me to be in control and to own my story and and not be someone else's. Do you know oh, what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And I, I think healing means something different to everybody. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, I know, I mean, without a doubt, just by what you've said, you have suffered some serious 
PTSD mm-hmm. and complex PTSD. I mean, yeah. all of that kind of comes with the territory. And I think that's when a lot of people go, you know, I've healed that part of me, so I'm not triggered. And 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 things just mean different things to everybody. I, I love that you said that about forgiveness, because I'm mm-hmm. on a totally different wavelength than a lot of people about forgiveness, mm-hmm. because people say, oh, you have to forgive in order to heal, or you have to, you know, people in the 12 step programs get caught on forgiveness for years. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh no, I came to peace with the fact that some things are unforgivable. Yeah. And to me, as soon as I came to terms <laughs> with that, I let go of the anger. That was now it was just a thing. So it yeah. wasn't something that I like, you know, and I tell people, well, hell, did that person ever even come to you and say, please <laughs> forgive me? No, those people don't care. So forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. And like, like with my parents, like my mother specifically, I let go of all that anger and animosity. And did I ever, you know, tell her I loved her or hugged her? No, but Mm -hmm. it does. Like you said, it doesn't control me. I don't. Yeah. And that's to me what forgiveness is. To me, it's letting go of the, the things that are, that are holding you back. Not them has nothing to do with them. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting that you say that too. Um, And what I felt and, and what I found helpful is there used to be a thing where I felt like I had to have validation. Like once I found a little bit of my voice, I wanted to scream it. I don't care who heard it. I wanted to tell the family, the extended family, no, this, 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 what it ended up doing. Of course, they didn't believe me and they, you know, stunned whatever. And I realized that even if you get that validation, it changes nothing. It doesn't make the, the, um, so I I say that as it doesn't heal you because you got validated. So now you have to realize that looking for that validation isn't going to be the magical wand and, oh, you know, um, and you have to, like you said, it was like, I let go of that and it was okay. Like I let go and now I don't look for it. Right. Now, if it, even if it comes, it's not going to change the nightmares. It's not going to change the triggers. It's not going to change any of that. Um, but now I don't look for it. I don't. I don't look for that to be my healing. Right. Where that's where I thought, oh, I I'm not going to go anywhere unless I do this, this, this. Right. So, right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, it's, it's neat. It's a neat, not neat, but it's, I mean, you went through, like I said, our lives are very paralleled in so many different aspects that it kind of, I don't want to say makes me giggle, but it brings back a lot of things that I'm like, oh yeah, you know, like the smells, like I hadn't thought about that. Um, I always tell this one story and it's kind of funny when people ask me, well, how do you know when you have PTSD? And I use a perfect example when I was in kindergarten, preschool. My brother was already off to school and every day my mom would watch as the world turns and make me soft boiled eggs. Well, she couldn't cook worth a darn, I mean, horrible (laughs) cook. So some days there was no toast. Some days they were rubber. Some days they were runny. It was just like, it was like eating snot every day. It was horrible. Yeah. Oh no. So I had options every day. I had choices as a four or five-year-old, like I could get beat. I could get locked in a closet. I could gag them down if I really wasn't in the mood to do either the other first two. Yeah, but I was literally sitting at a table like 30 years later, just sitting there minding my business. And all of a sudden I just vomited on the table and oh I had to stop God. and I'm like, what the heck? And on the TV in the living room, as the world turns had come on <gasps> oh. and I just heard that music and, and I was like, wow. Oh. And that was the first time I truly 100% understood what PTSD was. 
Yeah. You know what? I, I didn't, um, I didn't know I had it either. I thought PTSD for the very longest time. Oh, it's only if you were, you know, in, you know, military and stuff like that. Um, minor songs and smells. I mean, all that, but, um, I get really like, uh, I mean, my heart, it just everything. When I hear certain songs from the seventies, I always tell, I'm sorry. Um, I always tell my daughter, my husband, who um, is eight years older than me and likes some of these songs. And I'm like, no, you have to change the channel. You have to change the channel. Um, I can't, I can't, you know? And for the longest time, I never told him a lot about my family because I was worried. That's a whole other thing. Um, but now he gets it. Like, I will be like, um, you know, I'll hear it and I'll hurry up. But it's scary because when you're in someone else's car or something else yeah. and you're like, you tune their like thing and like they look at you and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I just don't like that song. I don't. But yeah, I never um, somebody. Yeah, it was only a couple of years that I'm like, oh, really? I have CP, uh, PTSD. Well, and like you're like, oh, uh, complex PTSD. Somebody told me I'm like, oh, and I looked it up. I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah, I mean, if you go to a therapist, they literally and they get back into your your history and everything that yeah. it's no different. What you went through. Think about that yeah. is no different than being at war. Yeah. It's no different than being in a foxhole, waiting for bullets coming over your head, walking on eggshells, tiptoeing in and out of there. It's no different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just the 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 actual item that's being used as the weapon is just different. That's all it is. So, yeah, it's what you went through. You went through 14 years of being at war. Yeah. Of course you do. More than that, too. But well, I mean, the first I'm just talking up until you started. it's funny that I've had to face some of that where you cannot get away from that trigger, which is wet dog smell. And I have three dogs. And like, I, I, you know, I had to turn what I associated with it to my dogs. Like I had to work through that. And now I'll kind of just say, um, when I smell wet dog on my dogs, I don't think of that anymore. I might think of that at somebody else's house when I smell wet dog, but my house, I don't, um, I don't know. It's like I had to train myself mm-hmm. not to jump back because I have dogs. And right. And, <laughs> and, you know, that's probably like, I'm a, an LP practitioner as well. And we do a lot of like grounding and, um, re refocusing and reframing <laughs> things and, um, anchoring. And that's probably like within, an hour, you could even probably less, you could literally get rid of that entire trigger. Yeah. Right? But yeah. what you do, you did, it's like you helped yourself learn that process. I don't know how long it took, but of anchoring that thought or that, yeah. you know, that thing. It's like, if you like me with the, as the world turns, I mean, that's like, who would have even thought it was so random, but literally <laughs> if I listened to that music purposely and thought of something super happy Every time I listened to that music and did it over and over and over again, just not even hundreds of times, but just a few times. And I did something like, you know, get super happy and then like grab my ear or whatever it is. Yeah. The next time you want to bring in that idea of happiness, you just do that action. It totally erases everything that moment of time and you're go- it's gone. And that's a very simplistic version of how you could do that. But you can yeah. get rid of any trigger, anyone. I- 
I went into this virtual group during uh, COVID and I had only gone in once because I was just trying to find something to kind of, I think COVID for me, I had to face so many things. It was very hard because I had nothing else to distract me. You know, mm-hmm. I spent so many years being distracted. You know, I have two kids. My, my son has autism. He's high functioning. So I had a lot of things to distract me, but come COVID man, I was like, Holy crap, all this stuff came and I hit a bottom. And, um, I went on to this, um, this group and, um, I, six people were in this virtual group and this one girl, she was a younger girl. And I was thinking, I don't belong here. This is like, I'm not where I just, I don't know where I belong, but I listened to her and I kind of giggled at it at first. And then I tried it. So she said that every time she starts to get, um, a flashback, a trigger, she taps something near her, like a physical tap to bring her back to where she is in that moment. And I found myself doing that. And so while I cannot listen to the the songs, as soon as it's changed over in order to get myself off of what I just heard, I tap where I'm at and I'm like, oh, I'm in my car or, oh, I'm in my thing. And when Michelle, who was my caseworker, you know, used to say, look at everything around you. I, I call it shifting. It's- like I shift my focus. Okay, shift. Uh-huh. And like I say it in my head, I'm like, shift, shift in a panic, shift. And it's like, it's that thing where I have to, like, when you tug on your ears, I'm like, shift. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. And some of those practices, I mean, for the people out there listening, I'm sure people get into those triggered moments. And that is a that is huge. It's so good to be able to do it. Like I tell people, if you're like really anxious and something's coming up, just look around the room and and do, I call it this, you know, I don't call it this. It's called like the sensory thing. So mm-hmm. just even if you say it out loud, what are five things I see? What are four things I hear? What are three things I smell? What are two things I can touch? What is one thing I taste? And all you're doing, like you said, you're shifting your mind. You're completely yeah. distracting yourself from what where you were. Yeah. And you're lowering your nervous system. You're like de- decompressing, you know, you're just yeah. not because when you're anxious like that you're you're not processing anything like you're you're just out there you're like you said all over the right. place right so you got to so, calm that those nerves real quickly i um so when you were talking to, uh, or asking me about these like 30 second moments and stuff um something for me is that i go back to those moments constantly so in order for me um if i'm in a I went back to my family and I, you know, was getting abused, told I was hated. I would tune them out, even though I knew it was coming out at me. And I would literally go to that moment of my teacher doing that and feeling that inside. And as an adult, I found myself doing that as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's when I can't, you know, do the shifting of whatever I have to shift mentally to a time when a time when. So, um, yeah, I, I shift in different ways in order to get myself through the trigger. And so, um, yeah, like I'll go back to that teacher. I'll go back to that coach. And I go back to this one teacher I had, she was my high school teacher. And I am so fortunate that I have, um, two of the three or four, my, my caseworker, um, my eighth grade math teacher. I don't, I've seen her a few times, Miss Kamiati. I've, I've seen her a few times, but I have my coach and then my high school, um, teacher still in my life. 
Yeah. Like they're there. And so, um, it's my high school teacher had gone through things again. None of these people knew except for my caseworker, my story. And she used to say to me, come talk to me. What do you, you know, back then you could go in someone's car. (laughs) So come come in my car, you know, and she would talk to me and she had a rough life, but she didn't really know about mine. It was like a little bit, whatever. And she would tell me stories about how she got through things. And like, I, I pulled pieces from that. So like, um, yeah, it's about like, yeah, it's, it's, I'm still going through the process. I don't think I'll ever, because triggers, not all of them come to me yet. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and I always say, God's only going to give you what you can handle at the time. It's kind of yeah. like, you're only going to remember what you need to remember at the time and what yeah. you're able to deal with. Um, you know, it, it, this is how it happens. It comes little bits and pieces. And so it's a journey. It's a, yeah. it's a lifelong yeah. journey. It's and building it's, character. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's, but it's, but it's so worth it. You know, some it people is. say, you know, some people say, like you said, some people say it gets, well, she said it gets harder. Um, you know, and there's a couple things I don't believe in. I don't believe you have to relive every ugly moment to heal from them or to, or to reframe them or to put, like you said, you can't put a different perspective on it. Right. Um, but you don't have to relive it, but you can come to terms with it and kind of set it there and deal with it. And I don't want to say again, wash it away because it never goes away, but it doesn't control you either. So, but I don't believe like, I'm not a big fan and hypnotizing me and making me relive every ugly thing. And then putting myself back in the story. No, you can put yourself back in on a timeline in a different perspective without having to dredge up the details of what happened. You yeah. Don't, I, I don't think. I, um, I think like you said, I, I think too, it's, it's it, each person is going to be different. Um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, I'm 48 and I still have to continue to work on this journey. I think person, per, part of my, we'll call it healing process is coming to terms that it's not an overnight thing. Oh, and absolutely. Coming to terms that every day I'm going to learn something different. Um, as a speaker, I have found that um, as I, you know, tell my story and like you said, to all of a sudden, sometimes new ones come out. I'm okay mm-hmm. with it actually now. I wouldn't have been 10 years ago, but now I've come to understand that um, once I get it out, so for my healing process, it's verbalizing, get that breath of of air out. It doesn't matter. Somebody doesn't have to fix it. Nobody can, but allowing me to get that out is, is taking control of the situation that comes up. And I, I think as I've gotten older too, um, the triggers don't come out as much or when they come out, they are not as debilitating as they used to be though they're still there like I get like I hate the hues of um everything is associated with the 70s I was born in 75 and my memories of course go into the late 70s and then early 80s and um I hate the hues of anything that has to do with the 70s the the oranges the green I was gonna say that orange and the gold and the brown wallpapers and stuff yeah yes and I'm like that it's it's difficult when you go into a room and somebody's into that, like I would never love. I'm like, anytime I my daughter who's gonna be 20, she'll come and wear something. I'm like, nope, you gotta get that off. She's like, you don't like it. I'm like, nope, you can get that off. 
<laughs> I actually just said that I would actually just said that in JC Penny the other day. I think I was walking through my husband. I was like, oh, these are like not the colors that make me happy. The, no, the orange yeah. and the gold and the because I can remember this gold cat strap scratcher we had in the house right mm-hmm. next to the closet. And it's like, but it was that dark brown carpet. Remember in the 70s? Oh yeah. Oh, it's horrible. I yes. I, I remember horrible. and the shag. Mm-hmm. I hate the shag, the shag. Yeah. it was, you know, and, and yeah, I just, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of those things. It's not, you know, again, it comes up, but I'm easily now going no, instead of the panic. Of, yes. No, you're just, you know yeah, what I mean? Because you've learned ways. So yeah. I know we could talk all day and I don't want to yeah, yeah. like keep everybody here all day, but so tell them, okay, first of all, two questions, but if they want to talk to you more, I want to ask you questions. Like, what is your, what do you do? Um, so you can find all of my links. It's easier to tell you where to find them instead of each one. But if you go to my website, denisebard.com, you will see a link, um, to all of my, uh, different, um, platforms, social media platforms. And, um, we had just, and I say, we, I have, a um, a friend that actually is a business manager slash marketing person who's really helpful. So we revamped everything. So some of the bit you'll see, it kind of looks new, but it's just rearranged. Okay. Um, and anytime, like I-, I love emails. I love like on my content online, I get a lot of like DMs and things like that. And I love conversations. I think that that's very helpful as well. Like just the, to be able to talk to each other. So yeah. Absolutely. And you have a story of hope because you're standing here, you're smiling after horrific things that no child should ever have to endure. No, uh, you know, you should, things you shouldn't have to get over. And I'm not saying you got over them, but you have definitely become the victor and not the victim for sure. Yes. And that's, I think a big thing. Um, Give us like uh, some words of wisdom. I know I love this 30 second moment and I myself, am going to start writing down those 30 second moments where people say things to me but, or do things or make me feel a special way, but give us some words of wisdom from Denise Bard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, definitely live in the 30 second moments. You, every day we're presented with these 30 seconds and going hindsight back in your life. You, everybody has that one time. It's not huge. It wasn't a big thing, but I remember how I felt. So I always say, feel the 30 second moment. And those are the moments that you just want to live in because the little things, the simple things grow into the great things. The simplest thing has the greatest impact. So just live in your 30 second moments, find them, give them, even though you may not know you're giving them, somebody is learning from you. Somebody is feeling from you. Amen. I love that. I love that, Denise. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I love to be able to share. Absolutely. And for all of you out there listening, again, another story of things that happen. Things just happen. Life is not always easy. Life is not always smooth or good or fun, but you got it. You can make the best of it by finding those 30 seconds here mm-hmm. and there and whenever you need to find them. So thank you very much. And you guys tune back in. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. If this episode resonated with you or you think someone else could benefit from what you heard, why not share it with someone you care about? Let's heal from our past and take back control of our lives together. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to www.tammyvincent.com for a free chapter of my book, Surviving Alcoholic Parents. While you're there, be sure to catch my invigorating seminar, Awakening Your Authentic Self. 
Together, we will rewrite our stories and turn trials into triumphant smiles. Until next time, keep embracing your strength, keep being you, and know that you are more than enough. You are way more than enough right here, right now.